everyone. Welcome to episode 182 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Chris, a.k.a. The Graduate. Woohoo! So I got the email yesterday. It's official. I am now no longer a student. I am an alum of Simmons. So I just want to thank everyone out there who supported me and sent me words of encouragement and support. It meant the world to me. And I appreciate it. I'm just so proud of you. I got to sit on the sidelines and watch all the hard work. And it took you hours in front of your computer and lots of reading and missing out on your fun reading, (laughs) even though I know a lot of it was fun for you. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I feel like I couldn't have done it without you, my book bestie. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, well, I mean, we definitely keep each other company as accountability partners at libraries and things like that. And it makes a difference. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. So we also want to give thanks today to our newest Patreon supporter, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Jacqueline hails from our neck of the woods here in Connecticut. We're happy to have you as part of our community. Absolutely. So, Chris... What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading whatever I want. (laughs) La-di-da. Oh my gosh, her smile is so big. (laughs) Well, you know, for the the last month, it was kind of hard. I mean, I was starting to think about what I could be reading, but I was still so tired in my brain. But now the windows are wide open and the fresh air is blowing in. (laughs) And I am reading at least four or five books at this point. (laughs) And it's all good. The one that I just started, I just really read the introduction or preface, I don't remember, by Krista Burton, and it's entitled Moby Dyke, An Obsessive Quest to Track Down the Last Remaining Lesbian Bars in America. Now, this doesn't come out until June 6th, but it was tingling the back of my mind ever since I got the advanced reader copy, which I appreciated. Thank you, Simon Schuster, for that. I spent a lot of time in lesbian bars all over the country (laughs) at one point. And yeah, they are disappearing. I don't go to bars anymore. So I didn't realize that they were disappearing so quickly. In the 80s, there were over 200. And now they're down to maybe dozens around the country. So I look forward to reading more of this and the why. I could probably guess at some reasons why. And then also learning a little bit more about Krista Burton and her journey into coming out and her experience. Very cool. I love the name. Isn't that great? And the cover looks almost like it's going to be a graphic novel, but it's not. I thought that was an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought so too when I saw it. That's interesting. Yeah, But I like her writing a lot. It's very, it drew me in immediately. Well, I'm only reading one thing, because I'm the opposite of Chris, I'm currently reading a lot of grants. (laughs) And my mind is filled with a lot of information, which makes it hard for me to read. And also, I have to be very particular about what I read. But I'm currently reading The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams, which is our second quarter read along. Uh We have our Zoom discussion coming up this weekend. Yeah, I'm reading it too. And I'm loving it. Absolutely Uh loving it. It's just the perfect end of the semester book or just a big refresh for your bibliophile soul. Yeah. And just a reminder of community through reading, which is what we're doing with the Book Cougars podcast, we like to think. The basis of this story is we have Mukesh, who's a widower, and his wife used to bond with their granddaughter Priya over reading in books. And he was pretty uninterested in that. 
and watched TV and never understood why his granddaughter didn't want to bond with him over watching right. television. Yeah. Although I thought it was really sweet. He liked to watch his wife read. Yes. Because he knew what pleasure she got from it. Right. And enjoyed her laughter. She would tease him when he would try to talk to her and she was deep in her reading, but they loved that little sparring back and forth with each other. He has three daughters who are very concerned about him and constantly calling him to issue. I don't know. What are they? They're not, they're not reprimanding him, but kind of trying to keep him straight. Yeah. Kind of staying on his back that he should eat well and exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes out to the local library as a way to get out of the house and return a book that he found that his wife never got a chance to return. Right. Yeah, it's The Time Traveler's Wife, which is a book I haven't read, but he actually reads it, and it really helps him with his grief. It helps give him language for his grief, which I think is beautiful, and I know books have done that for me my whole life, given me language and identifying things that I knew I was feeling, but maybe didn't know why or didn't know how to talk about them or didn't feel like anyone else in the world could possibly understand. Yeah, I really appreciate so many of these kernels of wisdom that the author drops about reading and what it does for us. And we're just going to drop that little kernel with you because we are going to talk in much more depth about this book on episode 183. Yeah, the next episode we'll be talking with the author Actually, we're super excited about that. And then we're going to have a conversation with ourselves here. Yes. <laughs> For lack of a better word, <laughs> right. we're, we're going to talk about it. With each other. With each other. <laughs> and it will also be after we've had our Zoom conversation with listeners. So we're looking forward to getting questions maybe from them. And a reminder to you that you're welcome, if you're reading along with us, to email any questions you might have for us or comments. They don't have to be questions. Or for the author, Mm -hmm. we would love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things we love about this community. Participation. Yeah. I'm also reading this excellent collection of short stories uh, that I talked about in our booktube video that we did on YouTube last week. It's called Cat Brushing by Jane Campbell. And it's amazing. These stories are just blowing me away. Jane Campbell is a new writer. This is her debut collection. And it was published on her 80th birthday. So these stories, I just I love the writing. I love the way she draws you in. And it made me feel like I was there with these characters. They're about different women. So each story is about a different older woman revolving around a lot of the stereotypes and assumptions and ignorance people have about older women in particular and their desires in lust and experience, I highly recommend it. Cat Brushing by Jane Campbell. And it has a very sexy cover. Very sexy. And this is one, I had a gift card from RJ Julia here in Madison, Connecticut. And I went with a couple books in mind that I knew I wanted to get. And then I also wanted to find a book that I hadn't heard of that sounded good and go home with that. If you're a book person and you're on social media a lot and maybe you get emails from the publishers about what's coming out, you kind of feel like when you walk into a bookstore, sometimes those front tables are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I heard about that one. So it's kind of challenging sometimes to find a book that, wow, I've never even seen that cover. And it's such a brilliant cover. They had it as a face out there in their new fiction section. 
And I just thought, wow, I was drawn to that cover. It's like a picture of long gray hair, just the hair covers the whole front of the cover. And then there's a hand, a woman's hand with this beautiful blue ring kind of going into the hair. And you just can't not pick that book up with such a gorgeous cover. So I brought it home and the rest is history, as they say. Very provocative. I'd like to get my hands on that. Yeah. Pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what have you just read? I just read The Cookbook Boudmo, which I talked about last episode. This is a beautiful cookbook with recipes from a Ukrainian kitchen. And I just wanted to report in that one of my goals this year is to get cookbooks out of the library or buy cookbooks and actually cook from them. I did recently read a statistic that publishers are very excited if people cook two recipes out of a cookbook, that's considered a success. So I don't feel bad that I sometimes don't cook at all from cookbooks that I buy or get out of the library, but I definitely read them and get inspiration. And I just wanted to report in that I did make the cheese that I talked about wanting to make. It's called Tavorg cheese or Sir. And it was really easy. It was just, it took time because my my kitchen was really cold apparently. And so if I had to do it again, I would probably warm, keep it like in a warm oven or something like that. But it was just a basic white spreadable cheese and it turned out really well. And then she has another recipe in the book to make an herb spread with the cheese. So I did that, which was just processing it with garlic and some fresh herbs. I used a little bit too much garlic, so it's very garlicky. I'm the only one in the house willing to eat it, (laughs) but I'm enjoying it. And then the other thing I made for breakfast one morning were oladki, which is a version of basically a buttermilk pancake. And they were delicious. So I have officially made three recipes from Budmo. Yay, congratulations. Yay, and I'm glad because it's due back at the library. (laughs) So I highly recommend it. As I said, Anna Voloshina, who's the author, is a food stylist and photographer. So it's just also a beautiful book to look at. If you're looking for some inspiration and maybe cooking some food, that you haven't before. Yeah. I recommend it. It was so cool to see your pictures too of the cheese hanging in its little ball and its little cheesecloth from your faucet. Yeah, that's right. I sent Chris pictures and we never posted yeah, those. We should, we'll post yeah, those. Yeah. Yeah. We'll post them this week because I've talked about the cookbook. It'll be two episodes in a row. So yeah, look for those pictures on social media. If you're looking for a fun project. I had never made cheese before. So it was really thrilling to me to start from scratch and end up with a fun product like that. Again, it's called Budmo Recipes from a Ukrainian Kitchen by Anna Voloshina. Well, I finished Shakespeare and Company by Sylvia Beach. This was her memoir of owning and operating her bookstore in Paris. This memoir came out in 1959. And the edition I'm reading is a Bison Books edition that came out in 1991. I love this book so much. It's kind of name droppy, which of course you expect it to be because Shakespeare and Company was the place where all of the American expats went and from the UK as well. And it became the center of modernist writing activity. She's famous for publishing Ulysses by James Joyce 
which was not publishable in most English-speaking countries because of censorship. It was such a banned book that it wasn't even allowed to come into the United States. It was confiscated at the borders. I marked several passages, as Emily can see my little tabbies and some marginalia here and there. There is a bunch of paragraphs I thought you would like. One time, Havelock Ellis, who was the sexologist, and then a poet, Arthur Simons, were visiting her and they went out to dinner. And she said, neither Dr. Ellis nor I could get in a word, nor cared to. I never was able to give my attention to a meal and a conversation at the same time. If the food is nice, no other thoughts should intrude. If there is a conversation, whether on business or on art, one listens attentively. And how can one do that and at the same time enjoy nice food? I always noticed that the French at table wouldn't discuss anything except perhaps the food till after the second helping when one could begin to think of something else. (laughs) Amen. I I love that. You know, there's always this thing they say, like, the table never gets as quiet as when dessert is served. But I feel that way about the whole meal. Oh, yeah. 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 We've had some great meals together, too, where... All you hear is like, oh, oh, mm. oh, you have to try this. Yeah. And then your brain can start thinking again after yeah. your taste buds have kind of calmed down a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah, there's a lot of excitement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is such a great memoir. It focuses on the 1920s. For the most part, she does talk a little bit about the 30s and 40s. But for the most part, it is about that 1920s period when modernism came into its own as a movement and Joyce plays a big role in this. So again, that's Shakespeare and Company by Sylvia Beach. And what you talked about on our YouTube channel on the video we put out last week was that the current Shakespeare and Company is different than this one. Right, yes. So she started her bookstore in 1919 and closed it in the 1940s. And then in 1951, I think it was, a man opened another bookstore, and it was named something different, but eventually he renamed it Shakespeare and Company in honor of that first store. And then his daughter was named Sylvia and eventually took over the running of that shop. Mm -hmm. So it's not the original Shakespeare and Company that still exists in Paris, and I know usually has a line out the door to get in, but it's paying homage to it and an important literary spirit. Can I tell you a funny modern day Shakespeare and Company story that I just saw on the interwebs? So the author Joyce Maynard, do you know her writing? I know the name. Okay. She's very well known for the memoir she wrote about her years with as J.D. Salinger's lover. Right. And she got shunned from the literary community or just People didn't give much weight to her books after that. She was very much cast in a certain way. She's a pariah. Yes, that's a good word. And I really like her writing a lot. I mean, I think the most recent one I read, I can't think of the title, but we talked about it on the podcast is the one she wrote another memoir about her years with a man she met much later in life and then ended up getting very sick and going through his end of life with him. She said that her books are very popular in France. 
And there's none of this backstory about her in France. And so she's invited to literary festivals there quite often and was recently there for one with a male author from the United States who she wouldn't name, who she said was very famous. And she was on a panel with him and another male author. And she had read the very famous male author's books. And he had obviously not read hers and said something very degrading to her through the course of this conversation. So she decided she was going to go to Shakespeare and Company and buy a copy of her book and get it to him. She went to the store and for some reason that whole notion fell through. I think he had already left the country or something, but she started to talk to the owner of Shakespeare and Company and long story short, they ended up offering her around the corner. They have an apartment where people can come and stay. And they've offered her a one month retreat there where she currently is writing her next novel. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So it was like through this whole shunning through the United States and being welcome in France and going to Shakespeare and company, she's been offered this lovely opportunity and, I thought, ooh, Chris would like to work in that little apartment that's around the wonderful. corner. Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. I mean, that is carrying on the spirit of Sylvia Beach because her second shop had a little apartment and she would let people stay there like Hemingway. And mm. he called himself her best customer. And <laughs> um, she helped people out a lot. Yeah, so. so the spirit, even if it's not the same building, the spirit is still there. That's great. And I had no idea it wasn't the same store, so I've learned a lot from you with all of that, too. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that, too. Biblio adventures. I think we have a lot of biblio adventures to talk about. We have so many. We had a make lemonade out of lemons situation last week. Unfortunately, a little kerfuffle with recording with Catherine May, the author of Enchantment and Wintering. We were really looking forward to that. I got a little confused with my time translation from UK time to US Eastern time. So we missed our opportunity to talk to Catherine. That was a bummer. It was a big bummer. Yeah, She is kind of everywhere right now. So if you're really disappointed about that, go to her podcast channel how we live now she just posted a really great interview she did with someone there and just google her and you can find her on multiple podcasts right now yeah and even still book touring for enchantment but chris looked at me and said well let's go to the movies (laughs) (laughs) yes we wanted to see are you there god it's me margaret and so we did some googling and found out it was still playing at the madison arts theater uh, the next town over in a, in like what, two hours. So we just kind of hung out and then drove over and saw the movie. And I really liked it. I thought it was very true to the book, which we just did a reread of. It was beautifully filmed. It felt of the era, you know, of our youth. Yes. (laughs) There was one thing I thought that wasn't true to the story, which had to do with Margaret, part of her struggle is she's trying to figure out her relationship to God. Right. And religion in particular, right? Because she's talking to God all the time. But there's this tension between her parents' religion and her grandparents. Right. Because her mother was raised in an evangelical church. Her father was raised in the Jewish faith. And the mother's parents disavowed her essentially when they got married. Yes. 
Yeah, and, they said, you're no longer our daughter. Right. So there's a point in the book where the mother is sending out holiday cards and decides to send a card to her parents, which gets their attention and helps them to know where they're living. And they decide to come for a visit. Right. And they're very specific about wanting to bring religion to Margaret's life. Right. And that's true in the book, that they are a problematic couple and a problematic aspect in their daughter's life, in their son-in-law's life, in Margaret's life. And I feel like the movie smoothed that over a little bit. And it also made the Jewish grandmother equally culpable in a scene that happens. And I just didn't, I thought that was kind of lame. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a disservice to the other grandmother Mm -hmm. and the strong relationship that she had with this granddaughter of hers from day one. Right. Now, up until that point in the movie, I will say, I thought Kathy Bates, who plays the Jewish grandmother, stole the show. (laughs) She's so good in her role. There's a really sweet scene where she and Margaret are in her little New York apartment in her bed because Margaret goes to spend the night there once she's moved out of the city. So sweet. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I I enjoyed that character a lot. Yeah, I did too. And I thought the actress that played Margaret did a great job as well. Yes, she really did. I mean, it's a tense situation that she's in. Imagine you're a kid. You've just come from this great summer camp experience to come home to find out that you're moving Mm -hmm. from the city that you love where all your friends are. And she's 13. That's such a rough age to move. Yeah. So there's that. Then there's the religious aspect and family strife. And then there's her wanting to grow boobs and get her period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed how they took care of a lot of different situations. And I was wondering how they were going to handle the dad, especially with the lawnmower scene. I thought they did that pretty well without showing any blood, right? I liked it. I did too. And I recommend that you read the book first. And it's a short book. It's a YA, so it's a pretty quick read. And then see the movie. And it was sweet when we were walking out of the theater, the young woman who was working behind concessions said, so how was it? And we were like, oh, we really liked it. And she said, I'm waiting to read the book first. And we were like, right on, on, thumbs up. Right, yeah. (laughs) I've heard so many people say that they've gone with their daughter or their granddaughter and just really enjoyed it. So it's a really good film. Yeah. Just that one little scene that we just thought was a little bit of a cop out from the original story, but otherwise it's a really good movie. And had we not just recently reread the book, we probably wouldn't have noticed that right. scene being so different, you yeah, know? Right. But, yeah. You know, I just saw, I just rewatched another movie with Kathy Bates, and that's Fried Green Tomatoes, oh. which I adore that movie so much. And I hadn't watched it in a couple years, but it's been on my mind. And I've read the book several times as well. And that's a case where the book is really different because it's written from the perspective of a woman who writes the local gossip column in the newspaper, as well as in there's narrative. And again, it's been a while since I've read the book, but I've enjoyed it the couple times I've read it. And I've enjoyed the movie as well. And so they're different, but very similar. And I just love all those characters. Remind me the author of Fried Green Tomatoes? Fanny Flagg. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I've read it. It's been years. Yeah. So Fanny Flagg makes a cameo appearance in Fried Green Tomatoes. She is the woman giving the lecture who's checking things off the board. So red haired woman. And then in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. 
Judy Bloom makes an appearance with her husband in real life walking a dog. It's very cute. Like yep. they're they're just neighbors in the neighborhood. Yeah, walking their dog. So yeah. that's so cool. I really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I also had a biblio adventure just last night. I went to RJ Julia back in Madison across the street from the movie theater to go see Mary Beth Keene talking about her new novel, The Half Moon, which is out now. She's also the author of Ask Again, Yes, which was one of my top 10 reads of 2019. And one of the things I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't notice that she talked about last night is both of those novels take place in the same fictional small town which is based on the town she grew up in and lives in now. She said, I guess I just wasn't done with the town. None of the characters are the same, but she did use the same town. It was a very small crowd last night. She was super sweet, really enjoyed hearing her read from the book, which I don't usually like, but it was fine last night to hear it in her voice. She just read a little bit from the first chapter And she did talk about the fact that Ask Again, Yes, the other novel, did become a Jimmy Fallon pick. He does this thing, I guess, every so often where he has his viewers choose from a group of four or five books or something, which they think should be his read. And then he reads it and invites the author on. And she said she totally thought, there's no way this guy's read my book. But during the commercial breaks and stuff, she said there's a lot of downtime that he would ask her questions and talk to her. And he had obviously read the book. So she was super impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that she talked about is she got the idea for this book because she has two teenage boys and spends a lot of time on the sidelines at sporting events and such. And she's always shocked by how as much as she enjoys a little gossip nugget, she's surprised by how much people, particularly in a small town, think they know everything about everybody and what's going on behind closed doors. I was raising my hand for that one. (laughs) Amen, sister. But what she said is, in her opinion, not only do people not know that, but even the people living in the houses don't necessarily know what's going on with their partners that they've lived with for years. Yeah. So that's kind of the conceit behind this book is she wanted to take this couple that's now on year seven, I think six or seven of their marriage and things aren't going the way they want to go. They've had some challenges now and kind of pick up there. And then it takes place through the course of one week with a big snowstorm. And she said she felt like that came from the fact that she was writing it during the pandemic and feeling a little bit closed in and stuck in place. Mm. But there's nothing about the pandemic in this book. It does not show up at all, just so people know, because I know some people are a little bit hesitant to get into those books. Yeah, it's not time for a lot of people yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing she talked about is having always wanted to be a writer, but that she didn't grow up in a house with many books. She said she said that on a radio program once and her mother was so upset because Mm -hmm. they did have a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) Her mom wanted her to remember that. But she just didn't grow up with a house of readers. And so she didn't really know how to be a writer, but she wrote from such a young age that she has memories of telling her stories to her mother so her mother would write them down because she wasn't old enough to be able to write well to get her thoughts out on paper. She said, I'd be bossy and tell my mom to edit it and rewrite it and stuff. (laughs) But I'd never heard an author talk about that. That's fascinating. Yeah. The things mothers do. Yes. And then, and she ended up going to Barnard and being introduced to more books and reading and 
learning that she could be a writer. It was a really fun event. The other thing she did talk about was that she wrote Ask Again Yes from 4 to 7 a.m. in order to get her writing time in when she was a mother of young boys. Mm. That's some dedication. It is, yes. So again, that book is called The Half Moon. It's out now by Mary Beth Keen. Well, I went up to Manchester, Vermont for Booktopia by myself. I was bummed that Emily couldn't join me, but duty called, yes. unfortunately. So I had, I went up there on Thursday and I, I worked on Thursday and Friday because my last assignment was due that Friday at midnight. I got it turned in four minutes early. <laughs> Yay. And then I got to play on Saturday and Sunday. So on Sunday, I drove up to Middlebury, Vermont, which I'd never been there before. I wanted to visit Monroe Street Books, which supposedly is the largest used bookstore in Vermont. And, you know, northern bookstores are usually fantastic because more people spend their winter reading, right? That's the theory. Anyway, I had a wonderful time. I didn't have a ton of time because I wanted to get back to Northshire for the 6 p.m. event they had with the Booktopia authors. But I had a wonderful browse at Monroe Street Books, and I highly recommend it. I picked up three books. So I was going specifically to look for Marion Engel novels. And I thought, hey, it's really close to Canada. Maybe they'll have some, but they didn't have any. But I did find a couple that I could not resist. I picked up this copy of Thomas Merton's Seeds of Contemplation, it's a first edition, and it has this burlap cover. Here, touch so that. So cool. I saw you post pictures of it, and yeah. I was like, I have never seen anything like that. Yeah, so I couldn't resist it. It's in really great shape, other than a couple pages where some kid did some drawings, <laughs> which <laughs> that's fine by me. But, I, you know, I have a paperback copy at home, but I don't know, sometimes when there's a book that you just can't leave, you don't leave it. Yeah. And it was a very good price. And then I also found an important book in archival history. It's a manual of archive administration by Hillary Jenkinson. And this originally came out in, it was first published in 1922. And this is the new and revised edition that came out in 1937 in London. He was a British archivist. I love that the archivist from Albany, New York, put his name in here, Henry Howard Eddy. He lived at 342 State Street, Albany, New York. So if anyone's listening to this and you're an ancestor of him, I'm happy to send this to you. But again, this is another book I just couldn't leave behind. And he has marginalia in here. So I thought it would be fun to read in terms of what another archivist thought of it at the time. Yeah. Because I did read parts of this as part of my degree. So that was really a surprise to find. And then the other book is one called So Many Books, Rereading <laughs> and Publishing in an Age of Abundance by Gabriel Zaid, Z-A-I-D. I hadn't heard of him. He's a Mexican intellectual who has written a lot about books and writing. And this is a small little mass market book. And it's not that old. Let's see. This first came out in 2003 from a small press. This is a limited edition, I guess, and translated by Natasha Wimmer. What made me buy it is this is his first paragraph in an essay called 
the unrepentant reader. The reading of books is growing arithmetically. The writing of books is growing exponentially. If our passion for writing goes unchecked, in the near future, there will be more people writing books than reading them. And I thought, mm. wow, that's a really interesting take yeah. on things. So since it's such a short little book, I, I brought that home with me, and I do look forward to reading more of this. Some of the blurbs on the back, like Anne Fadiman is one of the blurb mm. writers on the back. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so that was a wonderful bookstore, and I had a great conversation with the owner, who is very chatty and very knowledgeable, and we talked about so many different things. It was really lovely. So then on the way home, well, I did go to that night to the Booktopia event, and I won't recap everything there. I know there are a lot of recaps on social media, and I think you can go to our friend Sue Jackson's blog, Book by Book, or her YouTube channel, because she recaps things there. But then on the way home, instead of going like straight south, I kind of went over towards New York and drove down through the Adirondacks. So in Vermont, I was in the Green Mountains, and then the Adirondacks in New York. And oh my God, to be there in spring, it was gorgeous. I mean, anywhere you live for the most part, unless it's desert during dry season, you see green, you see so many shades of green usually. But up there, it felt like millions of shades of green. It was just so stunning. Mm, And on that Saturday that I got to do that drive from Manchester to Middlebury, which is about 90 minutes, it was blue skies with big fluffy clouds, just gorgeous. Anyway, back in New York on the way home, I was heading towards Rogers Book Barn in Hillsdale, New York. Unfortunately, I got there after they closed, like just minutes after they closed. I was so bummed. I was going down this dirt road and I was like, wow, this is one of the most remote bookstores I've ever tried to track down. And I came around this corner and I was like, oh, that must be it on the corner of my eye. This just little old house, you know. And so when I was doing a, a three-point turn to turn around, there are two women in a golf cart coming towards me, and I waved them down. I was like, hey, is that the bookstore up there? And they're like, yeah, but we think she just closed. And I was like, no worries. So I got up there, and I pulled in, and I saw the woman. And I was like, hi. I was like, I know you're closed. I just want to get out of the car and stretch my legs. It's been a long drive. And she looked at my license plate, and so I was from Connecticut. And I said, yeah, I've been up in Vermont. So she's like, well, what are you looking for today? And I said, oh, I was looking for some Marion Engel. She's like, well, here, honey, let me let you in and we can look. And so we went and we looked and, and there were none on the shelves there. And she's like, well, that's too bad. But I wanted you to come in and see if you thought it was worthwhile to come back the next time you're in the neighborhood. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. I'll be back because it's one of those used shops. If it's a barn that it was in, it's a very old one with low ceilings and stuff. But it smelled so good. Mm. Like it's dry and it just smelled like good old books. It didn't have that skanky smell that like old paperbacks give off with the rotting glue and things like that. And it just looks so organized and clean and everything. So I really appreciated that she let me in. That was really generous. It really was. So I told her I'll come back with a friend. (laughs) I hope it's me. Yes, it will be. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other bookstore I hit on the way home was called Oblong Books in Millerton, New York, which was wonderful. I mean, that place has been around for 40 years. And they have great events, too. They have a sister store as well. I got there about an hour before closing time. 
thankfully. Like I looked and made sure that I didn't <laughs> dilly dally that I would get there when they were still open and had a really wonderful browse. It was wonderfully curated with uh, a small classic section, but then also a really wonderful fiction section and books about books. I really had to restrain myself. Downstairs is the kids section. I didn't go down there because somebody was vacuuming and stuff. I didn't want to disturb them. But on the ceiling going down the stairs, they had this great painting of a dragon, which I thought was awesome. I'd love that as a kid. I mean, I love it as an adult. And then they also had a wonderful sideline section. And yes. the coolest thing was they had these little original paintings on these tiny canvases, like three by five, three by three, five by five, like that kind of size. And they were done by a local artist of cats, cats' faces. And they're $5 a piece, cash only. And it's a donation for the local animal shelter. I thought, what a great idea mm -hmm. to do that. So I bought a little cat painting and donated. And I just really liked that idea. I took a picture of it and we'll post that on social media for sure. Yeah. Just a great idea and a lovely way to partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a bookstore. So that was great. And then I was thinking oblong books, what a different name. So I googled it when I got home. And on their about page, they talk about how there was a survey done by both the colony of New York and Connecticut in the 1600s. And it was about land on either side of the Hudson River. And apparently, <laughs> the surveys overlapped each other a little bit. So both states laid claim to this one strip of land. And since there was so much dispute over it, it was kind of like an outlaw territory where neither colony had proper jurisdiction over it, which I thought was fascinating. You know, these small things that you never really hear about unless you run into a bookstore that's named Oblong Books. So that's the story about that. And it wasn't until 1857 that a border agreement was finally ratified. Hmm. Fascinating yeah. colonial history there about a bookstore. So wonderful drive. I missed you. Yeah. You know, I didn't listen to anything either in the car. I just let my mind kind of unravel from school. Yeah, I mean, that was probably really good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. I missed you so much. And I missed all of our Booktopia oh, buddies. I know. And I really did work the weekend and got a lot done. But boy, I had to stay off social media because it was just making me so sad. Yeah, I know. Everybody missed you, too. I, I got to have lunch with our friends, Carol, Kate, and Karen. And I'm Chris. So we were all like the table. <laughs> <laughs> And then I got to see some other friends there, too, which yeah. was wonderful. I wasn't around a lot, only for the Saturday night thing, really. Mm -hmm. But I got to see Jane, Michael, Kindness's mother-in-law, and Kylie. So it was wonderful, yeah. as always. And I hope maybe next year, who knows what the future holds. I'll be looking for a job soon. But I like to think that one of these years I'll be able to read all of the books and participate more fully. Yeah, I, would, I look forward to that myself. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Rewriting Illness by Elizabeth Benedict. What happens when a hypochondriac finds a lump where no lump should be? She leaps into action and is stymied at every turn, even with good health insurance and her New York moxie. If she's novelist Elizabeth Benedict... She turns the experience into rewriting illness, a provocative, unconventional memoir about months of medical mishaps, her infuriatingly mellow husband, her lust for chocolate babka, 
and for keeping her illness a secret. Rewriting illness, that rare cancer memoir with a happy ending. Happy pub day to rewriting illness. This book is available today, the day the episode airs. For more information, go to elizabethbenedict.com and links are available in the show notes. Rewriting illness by Elizabeth Benedict. So have you got any upcoming jaunts? You know what? The thing that I have on the book is revolving around World Dracula Day which is May 26th. That is the date that Dracula was published in 1897. I thought about rereading it and I took down the different editions that I have of it. And I thought, well, I'm not really sure if I'm ready to reread it, you know? Then the other day when I was at the bookstore, I came across a puzzle of the world of Dracula. I was like, oh man, this is perfect. Cause you know, I recently did that Jane Austen puzzle and I found it so relaxing. So what I'm going to do for that weekend, starting on May 26th, I'm going to do the puzzle and listen to an audio version of Dracula, because there are several out there. That's my upcoming Biblio adventure. So smart. I love it. Well, I tried to watch Bridgerton, which is a series, I believe it's on Netflix, and I think it's three seasons. I started the first episode. I didn't fall in love with it. And the reason I started is because my daughter, Rachel, told me, that she thought I'd really like it. And so then I called her and I said, what did you think I would like about it? And she said, well, you like period dramas, don't you? And I said, "Mm, kind of. I mean, like I liked Downton Abbey and then on, I think season four, it got on my nerves. (laughs) But she said, mom, people love Bridgerton. It's spicy, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. I started laughing so hard. I was like, are you thinking I need a little spice in my life? (laughs) So anyway, this is a show that a lot of people are enjoying. It's based on a series of eight books by Julia Quinn. The reason that Rachel brought this up to me is because there's a new series called Queen Charlotte. Mm. That is, what do you call it when it's like an offshoot, a (laughs) spinoff? So listeners, if you like Bridgerton, pipe into the conversation, send us an email, let me know, because... It's a commitment of time, which I'm willing to make. If But that first episode didn't do it for you. No. But I have so much going on in my brain right now. I just felt like I can't deal with people and names. <laughs> you know, like I'm tired. Yeah. So I also feel like I wasn't watching it at the right time, maybe, which is important. Yeah. Well, I mean, confession for me, I couldn't get into it either. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking maybe it was too hip for me. I don't know. Well, see, I was wondering about what was my issue with it. Like, I love serious adaptations like Jane Austen. And then I also love the fun quirkiness of the Emily Dickinson Mm -hmm. series. And that was really hip and very quirky and smart and paid great tribute to Emily Dickinson, I thought, in the time period. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like Bridgerton made it in either direction for me. Hmm. Maybe. I'm still trying to figure that out. And I still sometimes think maybe I'll try it again, because I do know it is so loved by so many people. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll watch it together. (laughs) Well, okay. It's It's, spicy, though. Yeah, if we get some pizza, I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do anything for pizza. (laughs) So have you got any upcoming reads planned? Yes, I have some upcoming reads. So... Longtime listeners will know that one of the fun things we do around here for summer is piggyback on our friend Sue Jackson's 
Big Book Summer Challenge. Yes. Sue started this 11 years ago. This is going to be her 11th year doing it. She started as a blogger. She's still blogging. And she also has a YouTube channel, a booktube channel. So you can check out both and learn a little bit more. But we wanted to participate again this year and hopefully get some of you all to join us as well. Yeah, this will be our third year, right? The last two years, we've done buddy reads of our big books that we choose. Yes. And we're going to do that again this year. Yes. And so for those of you in the States, it's from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And those of you who don't know our holidays here, because you know, why would you? This year, Sue's starting it on the 25th of May, which is technically the day before Memorial Day holiday. And it's going to run till September 4th which is our Labor Day holiday here. So you have months to dig into a big book. The only rule is that it's a book 400 pages or more. That's what she considers a big book. It's fun. She does give out a prize to enter the official challenge. You just need to comment on her blog, visit her blog for more details on that. You can do it officially. You can do it casually. She also has a thread on Goodreads where you can participate that way. Which is very active. Yes. And fun and slash like, oh, I want to read everything everyone's reading. Exactly. (laughs) Right. As Emily said, we're doing a buddy read where we invite listeners to read a big book with us. Traditionally, we've picked different books from one another. Yes. Yes. I am reading a book I never thought I'd read. All right. Let us know. We're going to talk about this now. We're going to reveal. We're going to do the big reveal. So one of the things about me as a reader is the older, the better for me. There was a time really when I didn't read anything published after 1900, because I just thought it was common. But now I find myself really into the modernist era, so the 1920s-ish. Then, of course, there's always Willa Cather, who has been a bit of a fluke for me. But I am going to read a book that never, ever interested me before. It's creeped up on me, though, the last couple of years. And now this year, doing research on bookstores in the 1920s and 19-teens, there's no way I can escape this one. It's Ulysses by James Joyce. Right on. Yeah, I will be starting it on the 25th. And I have a little informal reading schedule for myself and anyone who'd like to participate. There are a couple different editions out there. I checked the font on them. And I wanted to read the one that's been edited a little bit more. You can buy a facsimile copy of the original 1922 edition that Joyce did not have a chance to edit, obviously, because it's that very first edition. I wanted to read one again, like I said, that he was able to do some updates to. So I'm doing the vintage classics edition with a foreword by Morris Ernst. And it also includes the United States District Court decision rendered by Judge John M. Woolsey, who allowed the book to be printed in the United States. Very cool. As soon as you mention Ulysses, a lot of people groan or they say they love it, which is the more rare reaction. Or they say, I've never read it with a guilty looking face. Because a lot of people (laughs) say they've heard it so hard to read. Mm. It's a classic at this point. It's taught in literature classes. It's dissected. There are books that you can read that give you line by line interpretations. You could spend the rest of your life studying this book. I've decided I'm going to read it 
as if I were a person in 1922 and this was the hot new book everybody was talking about. So I'm just going to read the words and let them wash over me and not worry about figuring everything out. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. in some ways, he wrote the book to be read. Mm-hmm. And after reading Sylvia Beach's memoir, she mentions that he kind of likes to mislead readers, she thought, and for things to be a little fuzzy. Mm. Yeah, mm. so I'm not going to be doing all the big studying stuff, at least not this time. I've heard that some people who do this and read it, just read it the first time, get obsessed with it. I'm making no predictions. But I know our (laughs) friend Colleen has done some deep dives into the book with Mm. some of those guides that help you really dig into all the literary illusions that he's making and connections that are being made and street names in Dublin, because there's Bloomsday in Dublin. That is a day-long celebration of following the path that Mr. Bloom, who's the character in the novel, makes. Mm. And you can even buy the meals and eat the meals that he eats in the book kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I find out that not from Sylvia's memoir, but I found from something else that she's the one who kind of created Bloomsday Hmm. as a tribute, Hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. So enough of James Joyce and Ulysses. Tell me about yours. Well, I really wasn't sure. Like, there's not been a book that's just been compelling me, you know. And so originally, I was going to choose a bunch of fiction books that have been piling up on my shelf that I'm interested in reading or that I've been hearing about. And I do have a stack of those to talk about. But the book I'm definitely going to read and I want to be a buddy read is a nonfiction book. So we're switching this year because last year I read fiction and Chris read nonfiction that won the Pulitzer in 2013 and has been on my list for years. It's called Devil in the Grove, Thurgood Marshall, The Groveland Boys, and The Dawn of a New America by Gilbert King. Wow. As I said, this won the Pulitzer in 2013. It's based on Thurgood Marshall, who was a Supreme Court justice. He served on the Supreme Court from 1967 to 1991. He was our first black justice. He was known as Mr. Civil Rights. I'm putting that in quotes. But prior to when he became a Supreme Court justice, he had won 29 out of 32 of his court cases that were brought in front of the Supreme Court, including Brown versus Board of Ed, which was 1954. And what this book is about is just before he was working on that big court case, Brown versus Board of Ed, in 1949, a 17-year-old white teenage woman accused four black men of rape down in Florida in an area where there were a lot of orange groves and there were a lot, due to Jim Crow South, a lot of black folks working in the orange groves. And this particular town was governed by a very corrupt sheriff. And so I think a lawyer or a clerk or something that was working on the case was murdered and it got Thurgood Marshall's attention and he decided to go down there and get involved in the case. So that was a very long winded (laughs) description of what this book is about. But I've been interested in reading it for years and I thought this is the summer to do it. The audiobook is just under 18 hours and narrated by Peter Francis James. So I plan to do both. This book just hits 400 pages, like even maybe in the notes section. (laughs) 
So that, I was hey, afraid I was maybe cheating, but <laughs> <laughs> so that is my book of choice. I would love some buddies to read along with me. I don't think I'll make a schedule, but because Chris usually helps me with that. We'll see. I think I'll probably just dig into it right after Memorial Day. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. Nice. That's so cool that you chose a nonfiction and I'm really surprised. Mm. I would have never picked that book as one you would consider. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. When I remembered it, I was so excited because this is, it really interested me when it came out. I don't know what was happening in 2013. Oh, I know. I was in grad school. I had just started grad school. So that's probably why I didn't dig into it. Yeah. And you were looking to move at that time. No, that wasn't even on my radar because I moved in 2015. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jacob had graduated and was off to his freshman year or no sophomore year of college, I guess. Okay. I don't know. All right. Y'all, we were yeah. moving because we moved here yeah. in December, 2013. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. And then Very I cool. also, I'm just going to say the titles of this. <laughs> I don't know there's like 1200 pages of books <laughs> in front of me right now. We'll see, but I kind of want to put this out to listeners and everyone could help pick which of these books I read because I'm interested in all of them. Okay. But you want to read two. Is that what you're saying? I want to read told. A, Yeah. Well, I mean, if I have a great reading summer. Okay. But I think I'd want to read a fiction and a nonfiction. I'm definitely committing to Devil in the Grove. Okay. What I just talked about. All right. I just asked Emily about that because some people choose just one book. Other people have a stack. Mm-hmm. Like Sue is one of those people. She has a stack and she tries to read the whole stack. And I usually have a stack of hopefuls and yeah. one that I know for sure I'll read. Yeah, I think I want to read one of these. Okay. And then we'll see if I get to other one ones. of these four. So she four. has a stack of like four books that are about a good two feet high, it looks like. <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm not gonna talk about each of these, but I'm just gonna read the titles and then maybe we'll put it out as a, a poll. A poll for people to choose which one they think I should read. So one of them is called Fellowship Point by Alice Elliot Dark. The next is The Great Reclamation by Rachel Heng. Mm. The next is Three by Valerie Perrin. She was the author of Freshwater for Flowers. Mm. And then the other was the one that a listener recommended called Properties of Thirst by Marianne Wiggins. And I know that's got some good food stuff Mm. in it. So help me choose. All right. We'll put our poll out. Yeah. Put that on Goodreads and help a girl out (laughs) an indecisive girl who's got stacks of books everywhere (laughs) well the other book i might read is one that my book bestie just got for me she got it autographed and everything which i love it's the peabody sisters three women who ignited american romanticism by megan marshall which emily just hosted in a conversation up at newburyport literary festival I've read parts of this before, but never the whole thing. And I'm, how much is this one? It's over, well, yeah, over 500 pages. So it definitely qualifies. But I think this might be the year to really dig in and read the whole thing cover to cover. Mm, Right on. But thank you so much for getting it autographed and signed. Mm, I love it. Yeah. So in the out now category, we have Life B, Overcoming Double Depression by Beth Ann Patrick. Really good book. And she is going to be a guest on a future episode. The book is available now. Yes. That's why I just set out now. I'm looking at Chris (laughs) like, is it available now? (laughs) She 
is overworked. I'm tired. When you get finished through this big project, we are going to celebrate. Yes. <laughs> and then the other book that's out now, perfect for your summer reading, is Summer Stage by Meg Mitchell Moore. Takes place mostly on Block Island. So really fun read. As always, thank you for listening. And we always are interested to know what you're reading. So let us know on the social media. Email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Say hello on our Goodreads thread. Yes. And so on this Goodreads thread, we post the episode. And we're going to ask, what are you going to be reading this summer? Whether it's a big book or not. We just always like to hear, too, about summer reading plans and winter reading plans and fall reading plans and (laughs) spring reading plans. You know, yeah, plans. I mean, even if it's not specifically the books, I mean, some people think they only want to read beach reads in the summer or something like that. And then other people want to tackle Ulysses or something like that. So yeah. even if you don't know exactly what you're reading, but you have a theory behind your reading, share it yeah. with us. You know, and I, I had a professor when I was in grad school before who was so friggin' smart. Like she was one of those comparative literature, literary theory kind of people and what she read on her summer vacation was People Magazine. Mm-hmm. Amen. So her yeah. sister had a subscription, and they would meet on a beach somewhere, and she would read the whole stack of them and catch up on all of her popular culture stuff. Yeah. So don't feel like you need to read something brainy at all. It's whatever turns you on. Happy, Happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media, Goodreads, or email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. If you'd like to help support our podcast, please tell others about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and consider becoming a patron. Even a dollar a month is a big help. Learn more about that on our website, bookcougars.com, where you'll find the show notes for this and all of our past episodes. Thanks, everybody. This episode was edited by Pat Keogh Sound Design.